Hello, welcome back to the Man and Burnt podcast. We've got another special interview episode today. Uh, it's myself and Lily, as always. Hello. And we are joined by Tyler. Hello. Hello. You're working on a very interesting project. Would you like to tell us who you are and what the hell you're doing? Yeah, so my name is Tyler Omachinski for a good long Polish one. I'm a freelance writer and game designer in the RPG and board game space. And today I'm here to talk about uh, the Children of Eryu, which is kind of an expansion, kind of a version X.5 for the Fate of the Norn system. Uh, so yeah, those who aren't familiar, it is a Viking dark fantasy RPG that has no dice and takes place in the world that is going through the Viking end of days. I think that's that sums it up pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, for those of you who um, may not have um, been aware of this, the, the um, actual uh, expand well, ex can we call it expansion? I'm not entirely sure if expansion actually does it justice. The yeah. the brand the brand new Fate of the Norms game. It's a whole game. new game. Yeah, <laughs> it's um it's just going through Kickstarter. So yeah. uh, can you tell us a bit more about what's the current stage in the Kickstarter and what you guys are hoping to achieve with the actual backing up of the project? Yeah. So I mean, we end on January third. We are well past funded and into the stretch goals territory. Oh, yeah. That's um, for awesome. sure. Which is awesome and means at times I think we funded in 30 hours, which is you know, nice. great and humbling because all of a sudden you're like, oh, people want this. And you never know until you put stuff out there. Absolutely. Uh, and yeah, the project first started actually as just like, we're going to do an expansion. We're going to do a, a new source book for the Fate of the Norn system. And then as we were working on it, we kind of started seeing a couple of spots that could use some attention and could use some TLC. And Andrew, who is the uh, CEO of Pendlehaven, uh, the company behind Fate of the Norns, he's been at this for more than a decade, uh, honing this game and making sure that it's, it's better and better. So as we were working on this, this game, we found that it was slowly growing beyond being just like, hey, it's Fate of the Norns, but now with people of Celtic descent. And it instead became a continuation of the story. Chronologically, you're moving forward. If you've been a Fate of the Norns fan in the past, this is going to be the latest thing. Uh, time has moved forward about another decade. Uh, and then we've also got just a bunch of new rules and things that are being introduced. So we have a reworking to combat that is is just keeping all the great stuff about Fate of the Norns combat, which we'll go into a bit more later, I imagine, because it's funky and has no dice. Oh, yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Well, you know, improving it and polishing it a bit, uh, it reworks a bunch of the classes um, and or reintroduces them with a new Celtic flair and flavor as opposed to the Viking one. And we've added all new social combat that reworks how interactions with people work and anyone who knows their their gaelic or viking myths knows how important intimidation and braggadocio can be to these these people in these stories so having that addition really expands the game so it it, it went from being originally just hey we're going to add some new content to we're going to take this opportunity to introduce some new things to polish it to improve 
And then the awesome part is, if you are brand new to the Fate of the Norns, this book is can be your one-stop shop. It gets you in, it gets you introduced. Uh, or if you're a ongoing fan, you can go back to these previous books, these ones that have already been put out, and it's all going to be compatible moving forward. So it's 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 adding and honing, but nothing is all of a sudden like, oh, you can't use that book anymore. Everything still works. You know, I actually really like that because in a way, being a, I'm just putting my historian and nerd hat at the same time, mm-hmm. being a, a scholar on the Viking Age period and, and in popular culture at the same time, I think in a way, um, this continue, well, continuation, new game. Let's just go with new game. I'm just going to sure. stick with new game. This, this new game for Fate of the Norn system, I, I just think it's, maybe even a bit more approachable to people who may not be familiar with the subject. Because, I mean, as, as much as, you know, the Vikings are cool and awesome, obviously, disclaimer, I cannot really, <laughs> take that. I cannot really say anything else. Um, I think the fact that, well, the, the geographical location for the book is quite specifically in the British Isles, mm-hmm. isn't it? And, and of course, you have all of the other Celtic and, and Gaelic um, tribes and cults and whatnot. So, if if you are not that familiar with your Viking mythos and whatnot, but you have a general understanding of the Middle Ages or just the Celtic world as a whole, this may be an easier way in into the whole system, perhaps, than the sort of fate of the norms as it comes along. And of course, if you've been polishing the dynamic for combat and, and the mechanics, that may make things easier for people. Because don't get me wrong, I love the game to bits. But I remember mm. the first time around reading the book going, well, hold on a moment, I'm going to have to go through these five pages again three times, because that went straight past my head. Um, and it all kind of makes sense once you actually put things into practice. But on mm-hmm. paper, particularly because you have no dice, it all kind of seems a bit intimidating. I think that's probably the right word. No, I, I definitely get where you're coming from. It, it really seems to have some esoteric aspects to it. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And yeah, I really think that Andrew ended up being a bit ahead of his time when he first came up with this. So oh, yeah. for those who don't know, there's no dice, there's no cards. Uh, instead, you're using Viking runes. And you word, W-Y-R-D, or weird, uh, and you use those to draw runes, which are then a resource that you use during either combat or skill checks or, uh, and now with, the new, with the, the new version of the game, social combat as well. So yeah, it's really cool because you can take these different runes that you're weirding and you can either use them for a single action or you can use them to kind of combo off of each other. So you're either building recipes. If you're more of a magic user, it has different combos. They're going to require certain combinations of runes played certain ways. And then runes are serving as kind of this, this all-encompassing aspect of the game because you're using them for all sorts of different aspects. Uh, and yeah, I, I hear where all these coming from. Of When you first flip through the book... You're like, wait, what am I doing? And you have to print out these. In addition to your character sheet, you have like, you have the board, which is literally like you print out this board, one for each player, and your runes will move through this board to change effects in the game. And it's really cool. I'm looking at the one I have popped up on my corkboard next to the thing because I always like it's it's just out there. In a good way. And and I think that when you look at what FFG is doing right now with their mm. Star Wars and Genesis system. Mm. Oh, yeah, of course. 
where you're 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 interpreting your ruling combos off of these symbols, it definitely has some similar underlying yeah. ideas to it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. No, I I think it's I think it's wonderful and particularly for I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I suspect for someone like you, you know, in your capacity of, of writer and, and game designer, and mm -hmm. um, the flexibility that a type of system like this gives to storytelling must be huge because i mean i i've always said and one of the reasons why i was so hooked on fate of the norns is because i mean i've been DMing for a very long time now um and a lot of the time or well not so much now but at least traditionally with your basic rpg books mm -hmm. you kind of had to follow the story whichever way the system made you follow you mm -hmm. didn't really have a lot of room for imagination or just for really investing into a very convoluted plot or you know very hardcore um sort of social dynamics um, and this this whole new mechanic the whole thing of social combat i think is fascinating because suddenly you've added a whole new dimension to what is considered combat and the general you know social impact of the actions that you take in game that is just it's just brutal in, well in my opinion in any case i think it just makes it really flavorsome for the dm to have that sort of mm -hmm. um platform to build those stories but also for the players because there is nothing i hate more than when a player goes and say in, instead of speaking to someone as if they were in character they go and say i am going to tell them this this and this or yeah. Yeah. i am going to go and stab this person because <laughs> reasons and it's like that's not the point <laughs> like i get <Yeah>. you <laughs> but give me something else to go with um so i think in in this sense this mechanic is probably gonna really bring to life some you know characters and, and concepts that otherwise would be well maybe not so not so easy uh, but then at the same time it not concerns me but i think it's it's always been a slight worry of mine that this is not really the type of game that someone that is completely new to the world of rpgs could pick up comfortably and sort of just roll with it, um, which mm. is not necessarily a bad thing, but I think you need to have some form of background to sort of understand what you're dealing with and what this is bringing to the table. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think I know where you're coming from, and especially that with we with the resurgence we've seen of D&D lately, mm. which is, you know, I think 100% driven by 5th edition is brand new and is yeah. super accessible. D&D uh, is in this, like, nadir of it's on Stranger Things, and oh, yeah. there's, like, ten comics that came out this year that are all based on D&D, and yeah. Critical Role exists. Absolutely. It's just, yeah, yeah, I think that D&D, I think you're coming from, like, there's so many ways to get the basics of D&D just through osmosis that, you know, Fate of the Norns hasn't gotten there yet. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that we've actually been really lucky and really, it's been really cool how many people who have been coming at it from the Viking or the interest in the Celts, this new version, and they, mm. they kind of backdoor in and they're like, what's an RPG? And it's interesting because oh, yeah. you don't have to unteach them different yes. attitudes. Yes, that's, that makes sense. that's yeah. very reassuring. Yeah. Oh, totally. And then, I mean, on your point of like, you know, it's, it's so easy for social interactions within the game to be very odd and very subtle. You said, like, it's, it's, I go to the noble and I tell him, uh, you know, I want your house, I want your stuff, and I'm going to kill you if I don't have it. And it, it, that's a very weird interaction, and it puts the oh, yeah. DM on the back foot. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that's really cool about the era that we're taking place in, in Fate of the Norns and the stuff we can play with is that 
certain social interactions are highly ritualized. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that doesn't take away, it doesn't take away options from the players because you can still take go different directions with it, but it kind of provides certain guidelines of how you're supposed to act. Um, so a great example is in Gaelic Myth, and this is a part I was editing this morning and we were having a discussion on, uh, there's, there's this concept of the champion's lot. Um, and I'm not going to try the Gaelic because I will just butcher the Gaelic <laughs> version of it. But basically, it's this concept of the bravest and best warrior gets to eat first and they get a carved meat. Yeah. And I mean, over here in North America, you, you kind of see where that evolved into, you know, at Thanksgiving. Yeah. Uh, the patriarch tends to carve the turkey or whatever. Um, and that's, we have that kind of thing built into the social mechanics. So you're encouraged to be full of braggadocio and be like, well, I know you're amazing, but I'm so much better because of X, Y, and Z. Mm. And you can still give players lots of ways to do things with it, but they aren't sitting there like, I don't know how to interact with a noble. Um, and you instead kind of have these these guardrails to at least get them started. And then once you start thinking about it, you start being able to be like, oh, well, I can let this person think they are the better fighter to kind of trick them into doing this other thing for me because they will have mm-hmm. gotten to this point where, oh, well, if you're the greatest fighter, truly, you it would be nothing for you to help me out. Yeah. And then, yeah, you start playing with these different social interactions and creating these little traps and traps for people, and it's really cool. Nice. Yeah, I suppose in every RPG you can have social interactions and manipulate people, but actually mm-hmm. having the mechanics there to encourage people to do it is a good thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. definitely. And there's a, there's a few other it's... games that have done similar things, but I think yeah. more games should do it rather yeah. than just having combat and everything else. Well, and the uh, the thing that I, I also really value of this is that I'm just going slightly back for those of you who don't know and haven't played. Um, the way it works with the runes you know, when you say, I am going to use this rune to do this, um, without having a physical board in front of you guys, it's going to be a bit difficult to sort of follow. But, you know, your actions are in, your actions and your runes have different stages. You know, you can mm-hmm. be on, on the passive side of things, you can be on the active side of things, and then you things that you have in reserve. You know, if mm-hmm. you go and say, I'm going to use this rune for this, you're also committing that rune to this specific action for a prolonged period of time. In- yeah at least in some cases. And it really, really makes you realize the impact that you have in not just in the world, but in your party, in the Mm -hmm. story, and in your own gameplay. Because you know, well, there you go. That's my rune done. I only have, because you've just started, you just have five runes. And you're like, good. I only have four more to go. Let's hope I don't die badly. Because that's that's the other thing. In this game, when you die, you die hard. I mean, there is the the mechanics that obviously, um, you know, help you acquire XP for your next life and whatnot, which is yeah. of, of Ragnarok and, and that entire thing. But it, it really does make you think. And I think it also really encourages party cohesion and sort of, you know, not screwing around your teammates because you really mm-hmm. kind of have to work together and, and talk 
with each other to sort of understand your, your characters and whatnot. Um, on that front, I know you said you had been reworking some of the classes. Um, mm -hmm. Would you be able to tell us a bit more about the, the new classes that we have for, for the new game and um, maybe which one is your favorite? Because I'm, I'm quite Oh, jeez. Which one's <laughs> my favorite is a much harder question. So, I mean, <laughs> like we said before, we're definitely taking a very uh, Gaelic slash Celtic world focus. Yeah. So we've brought in the Druids. Um, we've mm -hmm. kind of collapsed the Druids in the boundary, which, depending on your interpretation, is sometimes just female Druids and sometimes is like a, a slightly different thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but then we get down the rabbit hole of academic discourse on the Celts, which is just like, yeah, you've just got to take yeah, a position we, for a we game. Won't, we won't go in there. Not yeah. today. <laughs> we'll fascinating stuff. Talk. Yeah, fascinating stuff. All oral history. So we're all like, I don't know, maybe it was this. So we've collapsed them a little sure. bit, and they're phenomenal. And then we've included, we we've fudged around with chronology a little bit. Like we have the gallo glass showing up. Mm. Oh, okay. When you know the proto gallo glass probably existed about this time. Yeah. Um, but the gallo glass, as it was, you know, kind of made famous, didn't later, yeah. really exist until later. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we we've taken some of the fantasy realm and we fudged it a little bit, you know, to make different gameplay and to give different ideas to it. Yeah. And then, as as Lily said before, when you die, like you are dead. There's none of this like D and D. <laughs> oh, you're bleeding out. It's it's you're dead pretty no. fast if you're going down. You're gone. <laughs> yeah, and then we have one of the coolest things about this game is that that's also your leveling mechanic. Mm, of, yes. Yeah. When you die, the other players after the combat, basically they do your wake, and they role play and tell stories about you and your character, and then you basically use that to springboard into this different metagame of how you level up and how you get more powerful characters. So to honor the Celtic world, you can be like part Fomorian, you can be part Tuatha, and you start getting more and more of these other world aspects and abilities, and it gets super cool and different. And you're, you're definitely going to see some things there that haven't showed up in the main game. Uh, I mean, that being said, you know, I'm a... I'm a... a classicalist on this front and the introduction of the druids and them going from you know just mentioned in previous versions of the game to getting this more fulsome yeah. write up and there's different paths within them like there's the path of a horned one Ooh. and they get some really neat abilities that it kind of makes them these these hybrid classes that they're both very very much like your classical magic user but they can also take and, and give a punch, which is a really cool way of interpreting them and having them. Um, and then, I mean, eventually, if you, keep, if you get like a high-level druid, you can do some of the stuff from Celtic mythology of yeah. you know, walking out and stopping a war because yeah. your word is law. Yeah. She's pretty badass. Oh, yeah. It's like, sup, guys? And the fighting yeah. stops. Yeah. yeah. No yeah, one may fight some potential there. there for things you wouldn't get in in the Viking setting. Well, mm. yeah, yeah, because there is nothing quite that OP, I would say. In in, <laughs> in the, I mean, you know, um, once you get into the top levels of things like the Seth Corners, they, they are pretty hardcore, and they can do some 
pretty mm -hmm. scary things. But I think, obviously, Fate of the Norns, when it was originally created, um, I always, I had a really, um, well, not tricky, but when I started playing Fate of the Norns, my players that started uh, the campaign with me had come from playing Mythic Island, which is oh, yeah. kind of similar, but obviously a different setting. So their, their approach to life was different, you know? It was about survival, not about being epic. Fate yeah. of the Norns is very much about how much of a hero and an epic badass you can be. And and that's it. That's how it goes. So I think, you know, when, when you have the mighty power of the Fae, uh, <laughs> that's that's quite epic, isn't it? It's like, oh, hello, just descendant from a few Celtic gods and probably related with some of the more powerful fairies in the entirety of Ireland. How are you doing? Oh, exactly. And we've we've taken advantage of a bunch of like the the intersections and parallels between Celtic end of the world myths mm. and Norse end of the world myths. Yeah, well, and there is lots of loops, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. So we were able to kind of weave back and forth. So we have a bunch of the huge characters from both Celtic myth and Celtic history that we've we've reintroduced. So like one of my favorite bits is you know in certain bodies of Welsh of Welsh lore. There's this prophecy that you know the true king is going to come back and save them from the invaders. Ah, uh, yeah, of course. That's mm -hmm. um, that's well, for those of you who don't know, that's kind of part of the Welsh yeah. mythos that has been imbued into Arthuric legend. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's their Arthurian myth, and then you know, again, as always, depending which interpretation you go with. Well, it, yeah, of course. <laughs> is it true Arthur or is it not? And then also like how much the invaders, according to the Welsh, is yeah. like yeah, everyone. Could be anyone, yeah. Well, yeah. Could it be other Welsh. Other Welsh, Irish people, <laughs> yeah. English people, Cornish yeah, people, Vikings. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So we have, in the Fate of the Norns world, we have statted out both the kind of the Welsh version of... Mm. Apnud, I think is his name. Yeah. Oh, I'm having a brain fart now. And we have a more Anglo-Saxon Arthur also mm -hmm. running around. Oh. Um, so there's these really cool things we're playing with. And one of the big things is we've set it up for like, here are the couple of big meta plots that are easy to find your way into, especially with the Celtic world. Mm. So yeah. if you're running around in Ireland in the time, period. It's all about is there going to be a new high king of Ireland? Yeah. Is he is he going to be able to unify it? And what does that even mean? Um and you know, the Vikings have already taken Dublin by this point mm. and especially in the Fate of the Norns universe, they're, you know, engaged in some pretty rampant slavery and invasion of Ireland. Yep. So we took that as an advantage to be like, well, we brought back uh Ned uh, the, oh, nice. the high queen from like three generations earlier, and she comes back from the dead, and she's like, "No, uh, no, no one alive is worthy of this. It's going to be just me." <laughs> so she's allied <laughs> like with the Morrigan, <laughs> and yeah, ooh, ooh that's yeah. that's gonna be nice. That's yeah, so be you, trouble. this helps you mess with timelines a bit in a in a fantastical, fun way. That's cool. Well, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 oh yeah, go for it. No, no, you go. I was going to say, Gaelic myth makes it super easy because they're yeah. so fuzzy on, like, yeah, time's weird sometimes. This <laughs> one city 
only appears once every seven years. What does that mean? <laughs> Do the people there age seven years slower? Are they just somewhere else? So, yeah, yeah, there's just a ton of fun things you can do, and you can play with Celtic myths. And uh, if you're the Norn, which is the Fate of the Norns version of the Game Master, mm. we've included a bunch of tools for you to do wonderful fairy nonsense and frustrations on your players. Uh, nice. I'm really looking forward to that. That's going to be so satisfying. <laughs> I mean, it was it was quite easy being terribly evil already on Fate of the oh Norns as the Norn. <laughs> but this oh. is just making it so much more fun. And, you know, I was just going to make the same point that from the sounds of it, from what you're saying, I don't, I don't think, you know, even if we're looking at this from a purely classicist point of view, I don't think you could even say that the approach you guys have taken to this is not respectful towards the sources because there is so many... Not necessarily plot holes, but you know, loose ends and sort of whimsical ways of approaching the vast majority of, of these myths that I think it makes perfect sense. And it makes it I'm just kind of trying to think about it from the point of view of the time period. And I buy it. I completely buy it. You know, so yeah, of course, of course she's back. She's yeah. she was super powerful and I mean she probably was never really dead to begin with. So okay, yeah, we can roll with this. You yeah, know, the, the Celtic mythology, particularly of, of Ireland, but anywhere in the British Isles, is so open to this weird idea of reincarnation as well. Mm -hmm. Um and you know, in, in a way, that's something that maybe May well, it may be a bit um, infam not familiar to the players um, that were playing Fate of the Norns to begin with. But if you think about it, to me, it was already built in the system with the whole, you know, wake ceremony and how this brings back your character and you level up and whatnot. It's it's all how the weird connects each other, isn't it, with the world and and your surroundings and whatnot. So I I think in that regards. Um, I actually wanted to ask you about that. So, you know, you've, you've answered the question before yeah. I even got into it. But I think in that sense, the, the game just offers so much, well, it's almost an, an endless amount of possibilities on in which mm -hmm. direction you can take it. That is, it's yeah, a bit I mean, overwhelming, maybe. Yeah. As, as someone who's never played the game, unfortunately, I will someday soon, hopefully. Um, yeah, I, I love that sort of reincarnation stuff. Mm -hmm. um the the small amounts that i've seen in other games because you know you want death to mean something and actually yeah. be a consequence uh but you don't want it to just put you off and make you stop playing the game you know i've had games where i've died in the first session and then i <laughs> don't play again because it's just like well okay <laughs> but you know if the game actually uses it as part of the game rather than just a dead stop then that's great oh totally I mean, I also like the, um, the like, and now we're going to talk about how awesome you are, which I think is a good... <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it's very easy for RPGs to have feel-bad moments of, you're yeah. like, well, I died, yeah. and, you know, you, you want, like, like you said, you want death to mean something, but you also want death to kind of feel good. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. the, the best D&D is always when there are, people are like, oh, yeah, I died, but, like, I did this and this, and it was amazing, and that's what you want. Yeah. Versus, you know, and that, and in, in classical Dungeons and Dragons, other F20, so much of that is on, hopefully you get a good DM. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So, so, yeah, being able to move that into a mechanic that alters stuff is just, oh, it's just a wonderful part of this game. Nice. Awesome. Well, um, 
if I'm allowed, I kind of wanted to move a bit onto the fluff part of things because I, I yeah. know Tyler is, is mostly been working on the fluff part. So now, yeah. now we've kind of got the nitty gritty out of the way. Um, could you, how did you get involved in this project and why, why this setting? Was that something that already came with the project or did you have any sort of specific input into what you mm -hmm. wanted to develop and how to do it? So the the two, there's two writers in this project there's mm -hmm. me and Mattia and it was awesome cuz we came at it from opposite ways in all right of Mattia was a diehard fan of fate of the north nice. um has been in for ages and basically contacted andrew and really wanted to work in the system um and and he's been a pleasure to work with and he is newer to the industry so i think that i mean I, I'm, I'm guessing what andrew's logic was now but i think andrew looked at it and was like i don't want to put a full book on someone who is newer and we're also going to be you know ultimately working on a bunch of rules and stuff mm. like he wanted to get another person on board because andrew doesn't know the celts as well like he knows viking stuff way better than i do it helps um yeah and then he found me because this is technically the fourth celtic themed book i have worked on in the rpg space oh uh, um, yeah i saw that i kind yeah. of knew that but i didn't want to spoil it <laughs> yeah so i wrote a savage worlds one yeah um i wrote a bunch of stuff for a call of cthulhu hudson and brand one where i wrote about these immortal Celts that were living in, you know, Gaslight era London and had not never died. So they like they were born <laughs> in awesome. Doggerland, which is like before the Celts even were mm -hmm. a thing, before the Romans existed, these yeah. people were alive. <laughs> and then the third one was after that success with Stygian Fox, I went on and I pitched them a book, which was uh, What If the Wild Hunt in the Cthulhu Mythos? And Stephanie was oh, like, that sounds great. We're going to kickstart it. And then we kickstarted it and raised enough money, which again was like, oh, that's surprising. <laughs> I think it's People a great concept. I don't know what you're so surprised about. Because <laughs> yeah, again, it was my first boring. big book. Like, that well, was my yeah. first big book to write by myself. Like, I was the lead writer on it. Um, so yeah. I went to Andrew. I was like, I have this experience under my belt. I don't know Fade the Norns as well. Um, mm. Which I think that then we, the three of us, sat down and over a bunch of phone calls you know, took all of our collective different strengths and weaknesses, and we definitely used them to make a better project. So, like, Matthew was coming in knowing Fate of the Norns and knowing Celtic myth. Mm -hmm. um, but not knowing as much about, like, how do you design a book? How do yeah. you write a book? And me coming in with, I know Celtic stuff, and I know how to make a book, but I don't know mm. Fate of the Norns very well. And then Andrew knowing how to make Fear of the Norns and how to make a book. So we all had the one week area. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that also, yeah, then we also used for the point of view of, you know, of I can come in and be like, I'm just learning Fear of the Norns. Why do we do this one thing? Yeah. And they're like, yeah, well, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, we would get in several hour long phone calls of Mathieu and I debating some like all right if if we have these two kingdoms at war and we have this guy has eschewed christianity would there still be a monk in his court 
and then we'd have like an hour long discussion about like what do Christians <laughs> look like awesome. in an era when druids have magic that works. <laughs> yeah, it's like why would it all be Christian? <laughs> I know. It sounds like it almost sounds like meta philosophy over a, a cup <laughs> oh, of tea geez. for yeah. your RPG. It's somewhat deep theology here. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds pretty rad. Yeah, and then yeah, like you said, it's it's we said earlier, it's it's a sensitive area to a lot of people still. So yeah. you know, we did our darndest to be like we're trying to be respectful and understand this is important to people, but we also need mm -hmm. to make it gameable. Yes. And we're yeah. not trying to present ourselves as like this is the one true ultimate truth. It's we're taking the best we can as game designers and creating a game around it. So yeah, just making it fun. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we fudge some stuff. Um, we we lean into some of the just plain old ridiculousness that Celtic myth has sometimes. Oh yeah. Um, if anyone hasn't read about the Dagda. Just go Wikipedia <laughs> that, and you're like, "Oh, what? This is all super weird." And I gotta write that character and <laughs> write different tests he's gonna put the players through. That's so. Yeah. That's how, yeah. did, how did you actually get into all the the Celtic mythology and everything like that? Because you know you've done a few projects to do with it. Yeah. So I am half Irish. And I uh, lived in the UK for about, about a year when I was in my undergrad. I did an exchange right. year in, uh, in Luton, actually. Oh, right. Oh, right. And despite being, having a very Ukrainian-sounding name and a Canadian accent, literally <laughs> everyone was convinced I was from Ireland through oh. no effort <laughs> on my part. <laughs> So I just kept getting told stuff about Ireland. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> and I just was like, yeah, this is awesome. Um, <laughs> and I just started, you know, I kind of fell down that rabbit hole of, of Celtic myth and looking into my own... Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? My own ancestry. Because by yeah. some weird fluke, my parents are like, we don't talk about that. So, like, I, prior to doing any research, like, I barely knew who my great-grandparents were. Oh, wow. And I didn't know before that. Um, and it gets weirder when you're like, hey, Omachinsky, which is my last name, didn't exist before, like, I think it didn't exist for, like, 1915. Yeah. So, and then my, the other side is, is, my mom's side is the Martins, which the McMartins are super easy to do research on. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> so you get all um, the Irish stuff through. Yeah, so then I just kind of fell down the rabbit hole, and then people started offering me money for a thing I was interested in. And then, yeah, right. when you're getting paid to do something you really want to do, you do it more. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Wow. It's, yeah, I cool, guess yeah. it's, um, it, it must have been written somewhere. I think yeah. someone pulled either runes or, or threads in your story and obviously <laughs> brought things together. Because, you know, I was just thinking <laughs> on that note, when you were just saying how you the three of you came together, I was thinking, huh, it's quite peculiar that it's three of them, isn't it? Because yeah, right? <laughs> Celtic <laughs> mythology is always driven by the, the triad of, well, whatever deities you want to call it. Yeah. So it's, it's all quite freaky, but cool <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> oh, totally. 
Now, on um, on that, um, on specifically on the project itself, um, was it Ireland that really kind of took your fancy, or did you did you guys develop all of the parts and all of the fluff sort of um, at the you know combined at the same time, or did you have dedicated areas where you kind of brought your expertise and Matthew, but his expertise in in terms of the fluff? I mean, oh, I, I did take it i i originally like i am an i am in another life i was an academic of some kind so like my first go-to was invariably academic textbooks fair enough um and just because like i am just the biggest nerd about that and then matthew took a much more pop culture approach to it um and he was you know always pushing for like yeah, Tyler, no one cares about <laughs> whatever weird, like, oh, did you know that actually uh, this place here would have been, you know, where, where wine came from? And they're like, that doesn't matter. <laughs> um, and at the same time, I would find stuff of, like, during this era is when uh, anti-Christian zealots Mm. Of of whether you want to call them, whether you want to call them pagan zealots or whatever you want to call them, would engage in these like nonviolent protests. Yeah. And one of the most common ones was for people who were ch- like hired to build churches, would be to hide naked humans with oversized genitals oh, in yeah. like the crenellations and stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I've seen those. <laughs> and it's hilarious. But again, it's just this, like, humans never change. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've said that for a long time. <laughs> yeah. So I got to bring that in, and they were like, well, that's hilarious. That needs to have some weird magical purpose now. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. That's awesome. So I guess it's kind of handy that you can come up with all of these obscure things which are obviously ingrained in the in the culture that the game thrives in, with then someone going like, Yeah, right, that's too much yeah. and yeah. and toning it down. Personally, I don't think it's too much, but I might have a yeah. bias. So, you know, never yeah, mind. Yeah. But you're always gonna find fun, interesting detail when you really dig into things. So oh, yeah. it's Actually, good that there's somewhere someone doing that on this. Well, yeah, and I think in a way that's what really makes this game so special and so authentic because, you know, you have that wealth of knowledge that you can just pour into this land which is thriving with stories to be told. So the more you know about these stories, the more you can actually help people which are either coming fresh to the game or to Fate of the Norns or to the period into it. There mm-hmm. is, you know, I think open open source uh, sort of systems are great and you know it, it gives you a lot of freedom and imagination but that's only good if you're an imaginative type of dm yeah. and no offense not everyone is and that's no dick to anyone and it's not you know not a bad thing some people really um like building on what's already written rather than just starting from scratch if you see what i mean yeah so obviously the fact that you can give them me. all of those details <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the fact that you can give them all of those details it's you know in terms of world building i think it's amazing you know it's to me the type of sort of detail that went into making the original fate of the norns was great and from what i can see i mean the book is gonna be like what 450 pages something like that that sounds right i I, I mean wow (laughs) that's a lot of writing (laughs) yeah i i there's a lot 
there's a lot there. Um, <laughs> and I then mean, you have the encyclopedia as well, which yes. is like, how does that work? Is it like parts of the book sort of condensed or are they yeah. complementary? That's actually great important is the, the encyclopedia is other parts of the book condensed. Mm -hmm. And with, I mean, I, in my self-depreciating way, I would say, and in some of the spots we left in where Tyler got really excited and wrote stuff <laughs> that was interesting, but not necessarily relevant to playing a game. <laughs> That's fair. Because <laughs> I, I want to, to do that. that. Because I, I, yeah, because I will do that till the cows come home. Uh, there was a paragraph <laughs> earlier today that I was editing. I was like, wow, I just had an entire paragraph here that I was talking about something that is like, yeah, it's interesting, but it's not relevant to anything else in the game. I just like, all right, well, we're going to cut that out. <laughs> yeah, oh. as as someone who hasn't even played Fate of the Norns yet, I may just have to get the, the Cyclopedia first. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I mean... mean... Oh, yeah, go for it. The the other reason why you should get it, um, and this is something that is very important to Alex, and I don't know how much you've had to do with this, Tyler, but Alex loves maps. Oh. Alex <laughs> Alex loves maps. And yeah. from what I understand, there's lots of maps in the game, particularly in the encyclopedia. So could nice. you maybe, just for Alex, tell us a bit more about the maps? Oh, and... man. So I have a great story about the maps, actually. Awesome. Uh -huh. So this is this is from relatively early in the creative process. Um, we were having a discussion about how to do maps for this world. Because when you talk about the Nordic world and you talk about Midgard, Asgard, and all the other parts, like all the different realms, yeah. mm. there's like a way to represent that. And it, it's been yeah. done before. And yeah. Andrew comes to Matthew and I and are like, yeah, I want to do that, but with the Celtic realms. And we're like, that's, that's a gibberish sentence. <laughs> and he's like, what do you mean? And it spawned shoot, I want to say like four or five meetings. Wow. That were basically on like, okay, so this is what the other world is. And Andrew would be like, okay. And then this place is in the other world. Okay. And then how do you, then Andrew would be like, how do you get there? And then we'd be like, well, you can walk and get lost sometimes, or you can <laughs> sail there, or you can go underground. He's like, well, where is it? No one knows. <laughs> he was like, well, how do we map that? And we're like, that's a good question. How do we map that? Um, so yeah, we added a bunch of different places from myth. And a lot of them we fudged as well as we could. So, you know, there's Is, there's High Brasil, there's the Island of Apples, um, and a bunch of other places that you know, one legend rather will be like, oh, and then they got in a boat and they sailed to that place. They sailed mm -hmm. east. And we'd be like, all right, so the island is to the east. And we'd fudge it. And then we'd go into like, here are other ways you can get there. And we basically have this reinforced idea of the mists of the Isles of Great Britain, just writ large, mm -hmm. have this otherworldly property to them. Um, and the way we've structured it is basically that mist gets stronger and can do more magical stuff. The stronger the power of the druids is in that area. Mm. So as Vikings and, uh, what in universe are called followers of the white God, 
move in, it lessens that power. And you mm-hmm. create this, this fun dynamic that's very much at this, this battle for the heart and soul of the Isles that was going on at this period. Absolutely. Um, and we're kind of layering this, you know, metaphysical era where everyone has magic mm. on top of that and, and discussing how that changes and how that, you know, you have, you have this era, you have a second era of, you know, saints running around fighting druids in these magical duels, which you see in like some of the very, very old stories about St. Patrick. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, and we've brought a bunch of those back because you know if magic starts working again, there's gonna be a bunch of druids that are all just gonna show up and be like, "Hey, you messed up my great grandfather. Revenge sucks." Yeah, yeah, that sounds epic. Nice. I mean, I think it's as a resource, it's wonderful, and um, I mean, I don't, I don't know how it's been going because it's part of the. Is it part of the stretch of the stretch goals, or was it part of the different pledges that you could um, get the cyclopedia with? I can't. Remember uh, that, that is a different. That is a a pledge level one. Yeah, that was um, it. That's gonna be printed basically no matter what. Um, it's gonna have a bunch of the same art and stuff and some of its own art. Uh, and yeah, I think one of the stretch goals I eventually have to do more writing for it. I'm not positive because I don't remember. <laughs> I should know that. Um, I will, getting back to Alex's question on the map, go back to, yeah, I mean, one of the issues we really ran up against, especially in Ireland, is in this era, borders don't mean anything. Oh, yeah. Right, yeah. Right? You know, it's, it's so much, it's so nebulous. And the... Irish governmental system, such as it is, (laughs) is so, like, it's built upon purposeful uncertainty and vagaries, Uh and this kind of quasi-democratic, quasi-aristocratic monarchy. Yeah. So, you know, (laughs) we put the major cities on it, and we kind of talk about where the different provinces are, mm-hmm. but in that final map, we don't say like, "Well, here's the border." Yeah, okay, no. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So it's just well, constantly shifting, yeah. Yeah, well, and in any case, I don't think you know in in this type of um, game, I don't think those borders have to be hard borders anyway, because yeah. I mean, does anyone really care whether they're crossing? you know, from one side of the river to the other. And then again, if you if you think about it in terms of the historical context, fine, you know, in, in the Anglo-Saxons, for example, Alfred the Great got really pretty hardcore as to where the borders were and whatnot. But even mm-hmm. in the Celtic world and even in parts of, um, obviously, this referring now to the original fate of the Norns, but, you know, in certain parts of Scandinavia, borders meant nothing. It's not like you could pick a, you know, pen and go and say, this is my land and this is your land. So I, mm-hmm. I think in that sense, it's pretty true to the not just to the actual period, but, you know, to the concept of what borders meant in people's minds at the time. I think back then, and and it probably makes a lot of sense in terms of role-playing, a a border was more signified by actual geographical landmarks. Like I can see in in the map, you've obviously 
very detailedly put all of the different rivers and mm -hmm. all of the mountain chains and whatnot. And in some ways, you know, people would say from here to that mountain, it's, yeah. you know, that's, that's, that's home. And from here past the mountain, well, that's someone else's land. So mm -hmm. I think in that sense, the fact that the map is so colorful, because even though it's all green, it's different shades of green, you have different areas and whatnot. I think it's it's wonderful in terms of texture and whatnot. It's very lively. Yeah. I think that makes it quite clear what belongs where and whatnot. And then, of course, the culture. And you've gone, obviously, to such a degree of detail to bring all of the different cultures and tribes and whatnot to life that it should become apparent, you know, when you are, say, in, in Tara and when you've moved a bit too far north and then you're in Bruna Boine. And it's yeah. like, okay, yeah, we're no longer in the same place. So... Mm -hmm. I, I didn't think, yeah, I wouldn't be so worried about that. But I mean, the map expert is Alex. He <laughs> he can pass expert. judgment on that. <laughs> I've made a few maps, but no. Yeah. No, I, no, I, I, I do I really just, like it. I love the way, because obviously the game is focused on the, the Celtic people. Uh, it's like, you know, very much focused on Ireland, Scotland, Wales, sort of in, in, the, in the map, at least on the Kickstarter page. Mm. And then just England is in the corner looking <laughs> yes. plain and boring. <laughs> Mm -hmm. It's like, oh yes, accurate. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, because at the time period, it would be mostly well, it wouldn't really be pagan England anymore. It would be no, I know, Saxons, yeah. right? So it's like, oh, England doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we have some on that. I mean, we've kind of building up in in this part of the Feanorns universe. Athelstan yeah. is kind of built up to the big bad. Uh, yeah, because from the point of view of the Christian, not Christian, city of the Vikings, like he is the biggest threat to them. Yeah. in that corner um and then we did some other fudging and stuff like we had we pushed back athelflaed's date of death so she still has like her own kingdom oh, up in yeah. modern day east anglia yeah that's yeah. right uh, and then uh, you know the idea is the next book or the book after is going to finally get into the followers of the white god and looking at mm. the other side of this uh major conflict that you know in the faith and world has been going on everywhere because it's very yeah. much a examination of is kind of this what at the time is continental europe uh form of christianity and hard borders and very much a more specific mm. law versus the viking and kind of in general more pagan way of life uh, mm. which is kind of a a you know freedom versus versus security kind of examination yeah, yeah. yeah. no I, that sounds cool so there are already some books in the making are there <laughs> so, uh, i don't think they're the making so much as discussed I'm and planned sure there's ideas yeah yeah fair enough because no, something like this um you know the game sounds great and uh but personally i don't know a whole lot about like celtic mythology and history mm -hmm. i'm more i come from it more from an anglo-saxon viking perspective mm -hmm. um so in this, is it really focused on the Celtic perspective to the point where you're expecting the players to play uh, you know, a group of Celtic people? Or could you have someone come in and be randomly a, a Norseman or whatever? So yeah, you, with the stuff in this book, you can definitely come in as... Uh, we have a bunch of different uh, Christian classes. We have missionaries and the like. We have a bunch of the, the holdover Viking stuff. The focus mm -hmm. of the, this book is very much on the Celts. Um, with a little bit of extra lifting on your end, you can also definitely do uh, 
some Norse stuff. And if you want to import more Norse stuff, make life easier. It's just you grab one of the older books, whether it's Lords of Ash or yeah. Fate of the Norns original, and you're yeah, able you. to import yeah. those in, and it all works one to one. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Because um, yeah, I always think that's that's an interesting thing to like, even just learning the history and the mythology and the culture, you know, if mm -hmm. the DM knows what they're doing from the Celtic perspective, you can come in as someone who doesn't know much about it in oh, character yeah. as well as out of character and learn about it in character that way. I always like doing that. So, Oh, totally. And like one of the, in, in all of these books, you know, we have the, the sagas, which are like your, your period adventures to get going with. Mm. And one of the big ones we have is we have, two or bigger ones in the back of the book, and one of them is very much focused on let's say you are Vikings and you've played Fae the Norns before and you just want into the Celtic world and you know nothing, where there's an adventure where you come in as outsiders. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you very much get to explore the Celtic world through that. Mm -hmm. And then the other big adventure we have in the back is you know and dig some Celtic stuff. Or, or kind of know it, but are entering it from a newer point of view. So you're in that instance, you're playing Celts and you're getting to know more of the world of Fated Norns rather than, you know, the world of Celtic myth. Mm -hmm. Cool. I think that's a, a very cool way of approaching it. It kind of gives you best of both worlds. So you can, I, and I suspect, you know, if, if you kind of feel you fit somewhere in the middle, you could easily just roll with the background from those two sort of pre-made adventures into the game relatively comfortably. In mm -hmm. mm. um, one thing I want to, I'm just checking the clock and realizing that we're running out of time. Um, <laughs> one, thing I, <laughs> one thing I wanted to, um, um, to ask you was, I, I always ask people purely from the creative point of view, and you know, when you're approaching a, a project like this, mm -hmm. what was for you the biggest challenge that you actually faced whilst doing this? Obviously, I, I do appreciate you're still editing and whatnot, but you know, obviously, you had the knowledge, you had the experience. Was there any part of it that you kind of thought, mm, "This, uh, this could be tricky, or or more yeah. than tricky, this could be an absolute pain, and I don't know what I'm going to do about it." I I've been very spoiled in the past of regularly. When I'm a writer on a project, I either have pretty much carte blanche of it's Tyler, go make a thing and and figure it out and come back with an, with a finished manuscript, or it's nice. Tyler, I need you to write these three characters. Here are the guidelines you have to meet. Um, come back with something that meets all those guidelines. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas this one was a lot of us kind of excavating and figuring it out as we went right um and you know there'd be a number of times where we'd have a discussion and it'd be like well does that go in the book or not and then mm -hmm. all of a sudden it's like all right well if we introduce this character we have to go back and rework these 12 other things and right. yeah and and you know as you've as we've talked about it's been a bigger theme in this discussion celtic myth is just such a, a delightful mess mm. that keeping a like a cohesive vision of what every, where everything is, who everyone is, and how they're all interacting has been tricky. Yeah, um, and that's been definitely the big challenge here because we're not only dealing with uh, you know all the stuff we're working on. We have 
what, like three, four books of previously existing yeah. things. Yeah, that's the thing, yeah. Yeah, that we also I guess be, that helps also... in some ways, but uh mm -hmm. some others, yeah. 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 Well yeah, and it's it's so easy to be like, all right, so we're gonna change this. But what does that mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um and you know, how does that affect this other character? Or this other character, or this other character, and you can keep adding, but instead of being, you know, writing it all and then going back and editing, it's a lot of like you write a bit, then you're like, oh, I have to go edit this, this, and this, and you keep kind mm -hmm. of doing these small loops on it. Yeah. So it's yeah. been really interesting doing that whole development. Have you have you found it a bit of pressure from kind of being, you know, handed this uh, pre-existing? uh game and uh making changes to things oh yeah it's been ridiculously intimidating like this has a lot <laughs> of very exciting exciting very excited fans behind it mm -hmm. um yeah and a lot of people who are you know very dedicated to this world yeah mm -hmm. that you want to do right by and you want to make sure yeah. that you're still making something that they're interested in um, yeah. And then as you're developing that, you want to add to it, you want to bring more to them. Hmm. But you still want to be like, it's it's that incredibly difficult challenge of you're trying to give them something new, you're trying to keep them surprised and interested, you don't want to just be like, and then the same thing again. Yeah, it's it's the problem with making like a sequel to anything, kind of. Exactly. You, know? you want it to you know, appeal to the same sort of things as the original, but you want it to be mm -hmm. new, not just a rehash, yeah. Yeah. So, but this seems like a very natural progression, you know, moving, mm. just moving over to a Celtic focus, there's already the interaction there, so it makes sense. And it, it makes me really interested to see where the series goes, you know, maybe moving to the opposite end of the, the Viking world and interacting with uh, Slavic mythology and things Ooh. like that, you know. Mm -hmm. There's all sorts of possibilities. Yes. Yeah. Oh, definitely. There's. I mean, there's been references in the books already to that kind of thing. So I yes. think that I imagine that's definitely on Andrew's mind. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think I recall it's in the in the fluff after the first sort of campaign in Fate of the Norns. There is obviously it gives you a better idea of the world beyond the actual story and, and beyond what is shaped. But of course, the, the interaction with the slabs is quite mm -hmm. prominent. I think particularly mm -hmm. as well because there is some. Um, aspects of the book, at least in the original campaign, that hint to the Sami and obviously mm -hmm. all of the other Finns and, and Finogric people. So, I mean, I think in this sense, I, in a way, I kind of saw this not, maybe, I, mean, I don't know if coming is the right word, but I was hoping that the game would come to this physical mm. context for the story. Um, but yeah, I mean, as, as the story moves on, you know, Slavic mythology is just as rich and, and crazy as Celtic mythology for that purpose. Mm. So it would be interesting to see to see what happens with that. But no, I mean, I think these, these other potential books that um, you were talking about, I think they will, well, I mean, it is hard to imagine how much more you can write on a setting like this where you already have clearly so much extra material, right? <laughs> but um, I think it sounds wonderful that you guys are already thinking on, all right, now that we have this, 
obviously there are some bits like you know England and Christianity and whatnot how do we incorporate that into the book because it is the natural progression of of the storyline so I think it's it's wonderful what you've done with this entire setting and, and what you are bringing forward and after this discussion I am happy to say that I am definitely setting in for new game because this is not just an expansion <laughs> this really brings in so much so much more that I, I oh, generally yeah. I generally cannot justify it as anything else. It's definitely a new game set within the, the fate of the Norn system. So it was actually yeah. one of the things I was hoping we could clarify through this discussion, and we have. So thank you for that, Tyler. That was great. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah. And well, we, we need to wrap things up. So Tyler, just as a last thing, could you tell everyone listening out there, what yeah. was the wackiest thing you had to write for this book and the one that made you laugh the most? Oh, even if no. it was just yeah. even oh, if no. it was just you and Mathieu or, or whoever else went like, no one else cares. Which one did you write <laughs> thinking, yeah, this is awesome and I don't care about anyone else? Um we wrote this whole section on just the crazy amount of just weird creatures that exist in the different uh, Gaelic and Celtic myths. Mm. And I mean, anyone who does any sort of reading into them, you, you find out how quickly that it, it's, you know, from, from 2019, us looking back, how obvious it is that some of these things are, you know, well, the, the Bucca and the Pucka and this other thing all obviously had the same like proto myth they all drew from mm -hmm. but meanwhile we're sitting here feel and i felt like we were back in like the 1980s doing the dungeons and dragons first monster guides of like well how is this one different all right well this one does this little <laughs> thing then all right now the next one and it's just like you change two three letters in the word and you move where they are and you know you don't want to follow the myth too closely on those because it just ends up being like well this is a slightly different water creature that pulls you to yeah. your death it yeah. can just become a mess, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, so we, we got to remix some of those and do funny and weird things with them, which was definitely one of the most fun parts. Awesome. That sounds yeah. really cool. I think from the point of view of, um, you know, creation, I, I always think that making creatures and monsters to fight is always one of the most fun things particularly if, if you have in your mind not just the the creator's mind but the dm's mind because then you're thinking ah how can i really 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 piss off my players hmm <laughs> i know <laughs> i will make up this thing which has no eyes but three arms and yep. one leg <laughs> or you know, something like that. that's the thing you know you don't need to make things up everything's already been done in mythology well just look exactly, there. exactly. <laughs> everything you can imagine is there probably no, that, that sounds really fun. So I, I am really looking forward to for this to be finished, which is in it, it's in three days now, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, by the by the time this is uh, this airs, uh, yeah. I think it will be done. Yep. Um, but yeah, at least we know it's it's funded and hopefully reached its final stretch goal. I think there's like one more stretch goal to go. I think so. I mean, yeah, we're we're coming around the final corner now, so we'll get that end of the Kickstarter bump. Brilliant. Yeah. So just to round it up, when can people expect to have their copy, whether it's digital or on paper, of your game? I am not positive. I I don't <laughs> like committing to those <laughs> unless I am incredibly certain. Um, 
because you never know where stuff is. I know that our job is to have editing with the manuscript done within three or four days of the Kickstarters being done. Right. Um, Pressure is on. Yeah. Like I've been, I'm going right back into editing. During this whole thing, I have updates coming up of like, you need to edit this, this needs to rewrite, uh, so on and so forth. Um, well, the so, yeah, is mostly we're... there to finish everything off anyway, isn't it? So... Yeah. yeah, it's it's mostly to pay for printing costs, uh, some finalized art and stuff, and that side of things. Yeah, Brilliant. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Tyler, for coming um, to speak with us today. Um, I really, yeah. really, 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 really hope that that last stretch goal comes through because, I mean, everything else is just is just put on. And um, to anyone listening out there, seriously, whether you decide after having this conversation to go and get uh, children or whether you want to go to the original Fate of the Norns, please do, because it's a wonderful system and I genuinely don't think it will let you down. And yeah. pretty, pretty maps. So, you know, you can't really <laughs> go wrong with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you may have sold me on it. excellent just gonna play a game yeah absolutely well uh thank you so much for tonight tyler um hope you have a good day the rest of well your day because in canada it's only like what midday in the afternoon there you go so much more editing for you to do so have fun Uh, and this is a goodbye from alex and from me and a happy new year to all of you listening out there yeah Yeah, happy to everybody and thank you again so much for having me uh i'm really excited for this Great. and yeah it's been awesome excellent great well right, thank you and goodbye bye, bye.